This morning I want to touch on a topic that I haven't addressed for a long, long time. It's been eight or nine years ago, I think nine years ago. And, and, and it's a topic that um, is not often dealt with in church. And I want to just begin by saying thank you to Dr. Rob Reno for his influence in my life when it comes to faith at home, family, ministries. And the question we're going to look at this morning, it's on your bulletin, or in the handout in your bulletin, if you didn't get one. Um, if you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand. Just, well, and if I could have some ushers help us out with that. There's a half a sheet of paper in there. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand. If we have extras, we'll get you one. But there's a half a sheet in there, kind of a, an outline of where we're going this morning. And the question I wanted to address this morning is this. Do children belong in church? Do children belong in church? Uh, as most of you know, once a month at Baseline Christian Fellowship, we have the boys and girls join their parents for what we call Family Communion Sunday. We've been doing this at this church for over 15 years uh, since I've been here. I've been here about 17 years. Actually, I've been here 17, 17 years this fall. But for most of those years, maybe 16 plus years, we've been having on the second Sunday of the month, the kids join their parents for a family Sunday. And over the years, I heard from some parents and even from those who have kids that are grown and gone, why can't we just have kids church every Sunday? Or why do the kids really need to be in big church anyway? And uh, I have a very simple reason, because I want to see the kids together with their parents once a month in a family-integrated worship service, because bottom line to me, it is biblical, and it is right. See, I want kids to experience mom and dad worshiping God, which means mom and dad and our grandpa and grandma, you have to be worshiping God. I want kids to enter into worshiping God themselves and to be familiar with spiritual gifts when in operation. I want kids to learn to sit in big church and to experience the presence of Almighty God. Not that they can't get that in, 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 in little kids' church or in kids' church, but uh, uh, in, in the, in the uh, corporate setting. I want parents to lead by example. Christian Smith, in his book, Soul Searching, said, and I quote, speaking of teenagers, most teenagers and their parents may not realize it, but a lot of research in the sociology of religion suggests that the most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is a religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. In other words, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, you hold incredible sway in the heart of your kid or your grandchild. But it must be modeled by you. I want parents to intentionally have faith at home type of conversations and discussions with their kids beyond these four walls. I want parents to impress their kids' hearts with biblical truths. Why do we have kids in big church once a month? Once again, I want to obey the Word of God, specifically inviting children to worship in the faith community. Now, from my, bringing, my, my context of being brought up in the church, we didn't have kids' church. We sat with mom and dad, or mom or dad, mostly mom for me. Dad came on Easter and, son, Easter and Christmas, and uh, but I sat with mom. And uh, when I misbehaved, and I did often, um, I was escorted out in the narthex, the foyer, the vestibule, uh, the, the whatever lobby, and uh, was disciplined accordingly. Um, but that was my childhood experience. I thank, I, I, I'm thankful to God that I got to be with my parent and my family growing up as a kid in church. Moms and dads, God gave you children so you might lead them to know and to love and to serve God. Here's a question I want to propose to you not in the PowerPoint, not yet, but have you ever thought about what you want your children and your grandchildren's families to look like? Should Jesus tarry, you're going to pass on. So am I. But have you ever thought about what you want your kids or your grandkids' families to look like? 
in the future? Do you have a long-term vision for your children and their children for what we have called here multi-generational faithfulness to God? See, God's purpose for your family is to impress the hearts of your children with a love for God. Do you have a vision for your family? Without a long-term vision, the family perishes. That's why as a pastor, I want to help parents pass on a spiritual legacy to their children and then from their children to their grandchildren. And it goes on. John Piper said this, If there's one memory that our children should have of our families and of our church, it is this, that they should remember God. God was first. God was central. There was a passion, he writes, there was a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. See, I want that to happen for you, for your family. That you should remember God. That God is first in your life, in your family's life. That God is central. That God's not just a part of your life. That He is your life. Here's another question to consider. If we only had the Bible, this is on PowerPoint, I believe. If we only had the Bible to refer to in making a decision about this issue, what would we conclude? If we only had the scriptures, the Bible as we have it, regarding should, should, should kids be with their parents in a religious setting, what would you determine? What would the Bible say? Now, how many know that God's Word has given us all that we need? Amen? By way of its commands, by way of its patterns, for all the decisions related to faith and practice. See, the Bible might not tell us everything we want to know, but it certainly does tell us everything we need to know. So our concern on this question of do children belong in church or should families be called to worship together in church needs to be addressed with the patterns and commands found in Scripture. Would you agree? What does the Bible say? Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. The sufficiency of Scripture. That's the first foundational item I want to bring to your attention. Secondly, in years past, we have laid out from Scripture the responsibility of parents to be the primary spiritual trainers of their own kids. The responsibility for discipleship of children is given to parents as the first application of the great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well as in Ephesians chapter 6, especially for fathers in the Ephesians passage. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, speaking to parents. And then it says, impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you get up, in the everyday activities of life. Deuteronomy 6, 5 and following. And then Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You see, God's primary plan for evangelism and discipleship is through the family, in a parent-child relationship. The second foundation. The third foundational item is, is for this issue, uh, that it has to do with the mission of the church to make disciples and to spread the gospel to all nations. Throughout the scriptures, from the first command to multiply throughout the earth, a vision and plan is presented of generation after generation of God's people bringing the message of God's truth and love to all people. The link between the discipleship of children and the mission to bring the love of God to all nations is clearly seen in Genesis chapter 18. It says in verses 18 and 19 of Genesis 18, Abraham will surely become a great and a powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him, through Abraham. For I, God says, I have chosen him, I have chosen Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. In other words, it's understood 
that there is a difference between descriptive and prescriptive teaching in Scripture. And just because, for example, just because there is an example of something being done in a certain way in the Bible does not necessarily mean that it's equal to a command for all believers of all time. A careful study of Scripture should look at at both the descriptive patterns and the prescriptive commands, for both have instructive merit in order to discern the will of God. So looking again at Genesis 18, 18 and 19 where we discover that Abraham's specific responsibility in seeing God's kingdom mission fulfilled was the spiritual training of his own children and their descendants. Abraham, God says, will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Well, how does that happen? How's that going to happen? How's that going to be fulfilled? God says, For I have chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. In other words, Abraham, you're to keep my ways, but so are your kids. And Abraham, I am commissioning you to make sure that you disciple your family by doing what is right and just. And the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. See, God's priority for Abraham was to direct his own household to keep the ways of God. Think how different America would look today if families took seriously Genesis chapter 18. As for me, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm going to serve God, but I'm going I'm to make sure that my kids also are going to be serving God. There ought to be in every, every church across the board, uh, multi-generations, just, you know, grandparents and parents and kids and, and grandkids. There, there ought to be that, that family that says, you know something, we're here and we're about serving God. We're about keeping God's ways. We're about keeping God's commands. May I submit to you this morning, the reason America is in the shape America is in, because we have forsaken God's ways. Plain and simple. And so this priority on multi-generational faithfulness is found through the express mention of children at the giving of major covenants. To Noah, God says in Genesis 9.9, I now established my covenant with you and your, and your descendants after you. We have to Noah. To Abraham, God says in Genesis 17.7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Are you seeing this? See, God's not just interested in you. He's interested in your descendants. He's not just wanting you to serve Him. He's wanting your kids and your grandkids to serve Him. The Mosaic Covenant was specifically directed to the multi-generational faith community in Deuteronomy 29, 9-13. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel. Together, verse 11, together with your children and wives. Were kids present? Yes. Together with your children and wives and the aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he has promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Together with your children and wives. The Davidic covenant continued the theme of focusing on multi-generational faith in 2 Chronicles 21, verse 7. Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his and his descendants forever. Do you see all these covenants being made? Kids were involved. Children, descendants were involved. We also see the patterns and commands in Scripture related to family integrated worship. And so ask yourself the question on top of your handout this morning. In light of the foundations I just shared, what patterns and commands do we find in the Bible related to the place of children in the worship gatherings of God's people? And I'll go through ten different points this morning. So you can't say my sermon was pointless. <laughs> Number one, 
Parents were specifically commanded to include their children as participants in the Passover, fill in the blank, the Passover celebration. The Passover celebration was celebrated both in homes and in the larger faith community, and it was intentionally designed for the inclusion and spiritual training of children. This, friends, has direct implications for our practice of communion today. In Exodus, and you have scripture references there, in Exodus 12, 21 through 28, then Moses summoned all the Israel, elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. When the Lord goes to the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over, there's a term, and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions, here it is, as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land the Lord your God gives you, as he has promised, observe this ceremony. Verse 26 is key. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Mom and Dad, why are we taking communion today? What's the cup representative of? What's the bread representative of? When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then, then, the, then the people bowed down in worship. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Friends, Family Communion Sunday it can have a, a great impact in your family if you will take time outside of these four walls and explain to your kids what's going on. This is why we take communion. This is what mom was like. This is what dad was like before dad and mom accepted Christ. This is what our life was like. But years ago, give them a date. When, if you know the date, this is what happened to me. And I want this son and daughter to happen to you as well. And you can explain what does this mean in communion even. And so number one, the Passover. Children were present. Number two, God's people were instructed to include their children in the Feast of Weeks. This extended worship event for the people of Israel was a family-integrated event. Deuteronomy chapter 16. I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture this morning. Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 11. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, the Levites in your town, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Once again, the Feast of Weeks, kids children were present, your sons and daughters. Number three, God's people were instructed to include their children in the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Weeks, number two. Number three, Feast of Tabernacles. The first text for this is found in Deuteronomy verse, uh, uh, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, the widows, etc. Later in Deuteronomy 31, we find more of a detailed instruction relating to the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, not only were the children of Israel to be participants in this worship event, but the children of the aliens living in the land were specifically encouraged to attend to hear the words of the law. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 31 says, So Moses wrote that down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. 
Then Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women, and children. Are you seeing a pattern here? Men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the, the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are, that, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so we have, because the Passover, participants. Kids were there. Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, number four, family integrated worship continued to be practiced during the time of Joshua. Despite what appears to be a very long worship event, children were present for the entire reading of the Torah. Joshua chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, 34 and, follow, and following. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. Verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children. Including who? The women and children. And the aliens who lived among them. Once again, the pattern continues. Number five, during the time of Ezra, men, women, and children gathered around him for a, for a time of confession. Ezra 10, verse 1. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping, and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large Heart. crowd of Israelites, Lord. men, women, and children, gathered around him. They too, the men, the women, and children, they too wept bitterly. Once again, kids being present as they had a time of confession before God. Number six, the prophet Joel called the people to a fast and to gather together for worship. Adults were specifically told to bring their children with them. Joel 2 verse 15 and following. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, babies. Let the bridegroom leave her, his room and the bride her chamber. Notice what is said here. Bring, gather, assemble, uh, consecrate the assembly. See, I find it ironic today that parents... And I live in a, in a neighborhood right now that has a junior high and a senior high school right next to it. And so the streets in our development are busy early in the morning. And when we come to church early, sometimes even at 7 a.m., there are parents bringing kids to school at 7 o'clock. Extracurricular things. How many of you, boys and girls, teenagers, teenagers probably, go to school before 7 or around 7 o'clock? What time? What time? He gets on the bus at 6.30 in the morning. How many of you are still in bed by that time, at that time? Don't know. All right, over here, maybe. See a hand? 6.37 back there. What time? 6.30 in the morning. Wow. How many would say that this, that's pretty early for school? Back when I was a kid, many moons ago, school didn't start until like 8 15, 8, 30, um, and we didn't start until after Labor Day. Come on now, what, what's this stuff? How many are, how many are the, old, the good old days, right? <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's all changed, but uh, whatever, whatever, and then Chandler, Chandler goes like year-round, a couple weeks off here and there. But I find it ironic that parents are able to get their kids to school at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and yet I hear... We can't go to Sunday school because it's just too early. It's our only day to sleep in.
Well, Pastor, Sunday's my only day off. It's just too early. May I su submit to you this morning, it's not too early. You're just spiritually lazy. And you're not hungry for more of God and more of God's Word. Joel says, bring. Bring, not send. Don't just drop them off. Bring them. Bring them with you. The implication is you'll be there too. You see, and I'm off a little bit and I'll get back on, but Sunday school is not a department of the church. It is the church in study of God's Word. And next week we begin Sunday school. And there shouldn't be anyone with an excuse that says, well, I can't go because. Now physically, if you're unable, get that. But be here. You're setting an example before your kids. And I'm here to tell you that as a child, I shouldn't probably say this, but I did not like going to Sunday school. And there was one Sunday where I didn't want to go, and I was very strong-headed and self-willed, still am at times, and uh, so are you. But I had the option. If you're not going to go to Sunday school, then here's the option. You're going to go home, you're going to go to, go to your room, and you're not going to come down the rest of the day. No food. No dinner, no supper. I like food. I like to eat. And that took one Sunday to solve me of me not wanting to go to Sunday school. I was in Sunday school the next week. True story. Mom's here to verify that. You see, we learn things. And even though your kids might not want to go, and even though you might not want to go, it's still good for you. Amen. Amen. And we have a great group of teachers this year who are gifts of God. Whether they know it or not, they've been gifted of God to do what they're doing, to, to do what they're going to do. And I'm not going to tell God, God, your gifts to me aren't important. I'll be there. And so next week, nine o'clock, not six thirty. You can sleep in till eight if you want. We'll have eight forty prayer, pre-service prayer around here. But uh, we'd like to see you and your kids in Sunday school. Not just kids, but for adults too. I wonder why. My daddy thinks it's nice for me to go to Sunday school, to hear the helpful lessons and to learn the golden rule. And if some Sunday morning, something else I'd like to do, my dad looks very stern and says, well, I'm surprised at you. So I dress up very neatly and I travel off alone while my dad hunts up his paper and decides he'll stay at home. Now I've wondered and I've wondered, yes, time and time again, why Sunday school is so good for boys and not for grown-up men. I think that was Brother Kay's poem. See, the prophet Joel, back to point six, called for the people to a fast and to gather together, men, women, and children, to gather together and to make sure the kids were there with them. I want to show a video clip from Dr. Rob Reno, about four minutes long about even your family schedule, how your family schedule can strongly impact their heart. Friends, let's get, I would say it this way, let's give ourselves the things of God, and then if there's time, sports and recreational things can come if there's time. But let's first seek God in His kingdom. Go ahead and roll that, if you would. Heart learns what's important through the family schedule. In the beginning, we talked about how it's experience that teaches our hearts. Experience teaches our hearts its lessons. And our normal family schedule is the experience, day in and day out, that teaches the hearts of our children their beliefs and their values. So let me ask you, if someone were to follow your family around for a week with a video camera and a ledger, and they recorded every single thing you did and how you spent your time, what would they conclude are your most important values in your family's life based on your schedule? Think about it. Would it be sports? Would it be academics? 
Would it be music? What would it be? What would your schedule say that the most important things of life are all about? Now, it's a very disturbing question because we don't like to think of it in those sorts of terms. But what we have to understand is the way we're choosing to spend our time, the way we have organized our family schedule is speaking and preaching and speaking right into the hearts of our children with these are the things that matter. These are the things that are important. These are the things that count. A few minutes ago, we looked at these guys from Lord of the Rings sacrificing things that mattered for things that, that didn't um, now let me show you the, the opposite. It's an example of this principle of how a normal life schedule of a family can create a deep commitment to God uh, above all else. This is a scene from the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a movie about the life of Eric Little. And just to set the stage, Eric is a Christian who is headed to the Olympic Games to run for England in the 100-meter dash. Now throughout Eric's childhood... His family prioritized worship, church, and the concept of the Sabbath. And here he was, the very best sprinter in the entire world, going to the Olympic Games and saying no. Because his heart had learned the lessons in his normal life. Because of his commitment to worship and to church. And look how far we have come. And I know I'm going to step on some toes here. We're to the point where if our eight-year-old makes the travel soccer team, that Sunday mornings are now optional. And, and we can make it when we can, when we're in town. And my point here is to say that is not to say that it's a sin to miss church. But my point is to say that if the sports schedule trumps the spiritual schedule when they collide, you are powerfully speaking to the heart of your child that says sports is first son, daughter. This is what's most important in your life. And is that the message you want to send? Because your schedule sends it, no matter what. No matter what your words say. Even if your words say, well, son, uh, these things are really more important, but we're going to do this today. We're going to make an exception and an exception and an exception and an exception. The normal life schedule and experience teaches their hearts what really counts. And I know that these questions are not easy. Uh, one of the writers that I've been reading, of, uh, his name is Cotton Mather, and he asks this very painful question on parenting. He says, are we spending more time developing our children's bodies or their souls? Hmm. Not an easy question to face in our current culture. A powerful four-minute little video clip, isn't it? What's most important when it comes to eternity? Their bodies or their souls? May I submit, it's their souls. It's their souls. It's that which is eternal. I have two nephews who are in full-time ministry today, and they're sports guys growing up, love sports or anything else. But I, I witnessed from a distance my brother's and his wife's impact on their hearts where they had to choose, and they chose youth group before they chose the sports. And today, one's in the national office, youth department in Springfield, and one's a youth pastor in, in Washington of a large church. Don't tell me that their hearts weren't impacted because of the priority of God, church, and worship. I'm here today because of the very same thing. I am. And, and uh, anyway... Let's go on. Number seven. Let's go to the New Testament. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was an active participant in the spiritual life of his worshiping community. He had specifically been brought by his parents to Jerusalem to participate in the celebration of Passover. Point number one. Luke 2, 42-46, when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
thinking that he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, the company, if you will. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to, to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus himself was an active participant in the worshiping community. And friends, I can't think of a better example than that of Christ. All right. Uh, number eight, children were present when Jesus taught. In some situations, they were present even when Jesus was privately teaching his disciples. In Matthew chapter 18, 1 through 6, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child uh, and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who, believes in, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matthew 18. In Mark chapter 9, 35 through 38, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Friends, we must be a church that welcomes children in our services. And let me add, if they cry, let them cry. It's okay. I can talk louder if I need to. If they fuss, it's okay. They, they need to be here. Number nine. Children were present during the church services in the book of Acts. Despite the extremely long sermon indicated in Acts 20, children were present at the worship gathering. Acts 27, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week... We came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. I've been here almost 17 years, and I have never talked from this time until midnight yet. <laughs> yet. There were many lamps in the upstairs rooms where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man, the Greek language word here indicates an age between 7 and 14 years of age named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on I don't feel bad if you fall asleep because they fell asleep on the Apostle Paul and if you need to come to church to get a nap come to church and get a nap but be here alright I won't ask you to pray and if you're doing this uh, could you so and so please stand and pray you know, close, you know, anyway I won't embarrass you when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. That's, that's a pretty serious, uh, if you do fall asleep, you never know what's going to happen to you. So, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he says, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, so not just till midnight, all night long, till daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And so, between 7 and 14 years old, presence in the gathering of adults, hearing Paul go on and on and on and on and on till the next morning. Number 10. Children were present in the worship gatherings in Ephesus and Colossae. In Paul's letters to these churches, he specifically speaks to kids, to children. These letters were intended to be read in the congregations in these cities. It seems reasonable then to assume that Paul counted on the fact that children would be present for the hearing of the letters since he addressed portions of the letters to the kids themselves. It is also, also reasonable to conclude that Paul had no problem with children being exposed to the entire content of the letter. 
Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Boys and girls, today, are you listening to me? The Apostle Paul addresses you. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so the Apostle Paul is specifically addressing children. Also at Colossae, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Boys and girls and teenagers, when you obey mom and dad, you are pleasing to God. You are, you are uh, uh, a person that is pleasing God in what you're doing. And so kids were specifically addressed by the Apostle Paul in these New Testament letters. Now, let's put this all together. From the Old Testament into the New Testament, from Moses through Jesus and the Apostles and the New, Te New Testament Church, the Scriptures specifically invite children to worship with the faith community. And there is a pattern of noting the presence of children at worship events. Let me take this one step further. There does not, there does not appear to be any examples where the faith community gathered for corporate worship without kids being present. Know what that tells me? It is right. It is biblical for boys and girls and teenagers and babies to be with their parents at the family communion service here that we have once a month at Baseline Christian Fellowship. I think it's important that we as a church support the vision of the house and the ministries of that church. So if that church has Wednesday night service, you ought to be there for Wednesday night. One of the things I'm thankful for, and I wasn't going to go here, but I will. I'm thankful for my parents here today, Alvin and Jan Kyle. I'm thankful for their example. I'm going to get teary-eyed if I don't, if I look at them. I'm going to get teary-eyed, but I'm thankful that for as long as I remember, they've been an example to me and all their kids and have been in the house of God and have implanted that desire in my own heart to be here. When I'm on vacation, I'll be in church somewhere. I don't take a vacation from God. Neither should you. But they're here. They're in their mid, getting up, uh, mid 70s, upper 70s now. I won't give their ages, but they're getting up there. But they're still here. On Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, she'll be teaching Revelation next week. Starting the book of Revelation, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Still involved in ministry. Alan was here this past week with Gene and drywalling and, and, and getting, still doing stuff. I mean, what an example. And I'm just bragging on them. I know they're my parents, I know, but, but you can be that example to your kids and to your grandkids. They need to see that in your life. Yes? It is right and biblical that kids be in church with, with parents. We are commanded, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day approaching. And I have to be a rocket scientist to tell you, friends, that day is approaching. Thirty-some years ago when I first accepted Christ, I thought he was coming back for me that year. I thought the rapture was going to happen. Boom. And how I'm 30-some years later, but how much closer is his return today than when I first believed, or when you first believed? Now, you may not agree with my convictions or my conclusions. However, my prayer for you this morning is that by considering what I laid out this morning, what I shared out from God's Word, that the Lord will deepen and strengthen your convictions about families and family worship, about your kids being with you, with you on Family Communion Sunday, which, by the way, is next week. Going back to my first question, if we only had the Bible to refer to in making a decision about this issue, what would we conclude? 
Do kids belong in church? Yes, they do. All right. God created the institution of marriage and family as the foundation for human life, society, and the faith community. The family was created by God to be an, an, an active and a powerful spiritual discipleship center. Throughout the scriptures, God uses the metaphor of family to communicate the truth about himself and his kingdom. Christ is described as the groom and the church his bride. The relationship between the first two persons of the Trinity is described with the analogy of father and son. Relationships in the body of Christ are described as brother and sister. Every chapter... Every chapter of the four Gospels, except Mark chapter 4, mentions family relationships or uses an analogy of family life. Every chapter, except Mark 4 of the four Gospels. Throughout the scriptures, we find examples of multi-generational worship gatherings. Friends, that's why it's vital for the health of the church and for the spiritual health of children and teenagers to experience the worship of God in a generational context. I usually mention in a membership class when I teach a class that if you're looking for a church where you can simply drop off your kids and expect us to teach them the faith then Baseline Christian Fellowship is probably not for you because I strongly believe that your home the home is the primary place where faith is battery might be gone don't know I'll just let, let me go back that your home is the primary place where faith is nurtured and that parents are be the, to be the primary nurturers. I believe the primary task of youth and children's ministry is to inspire and equip parents and grandparents to be successful in the evangelization and discipleship of their own children and teenagers. Youth and children's ministry should increasingly develop a home-centered, church-supported strategy for reaching the next generation. Not church-centered, home-supported, but home-centered, church-supported. And there is a difference. If and when the families within the church take the lead in the discipleship of their own kids, guess what? More of the children's and youth ministry resources can be focused on reaching children and teens from non-Christian homes. That's why, friends, once a month we have children with the adults in a family integrated worship service here at this church. Said a lot there. Now, in closing, I want to quote Dr. Rob Reno. It's on the back of your handout. He says, if one becomes convinced that this is indeed the biblical pattern and command found in Scripture, then follow, the following questions may help move the discussion from the theological, which I shared this morning, to the practical. Now, how does it work out in your own lives? In light of his quote, then, you as a family can discuss the following. What would happen if we called parents to prioritize family worship so that their children would be equipped and trained to fully participate in corporate worship. Which means, moms and dads, when your kids come, you worship God, but expect the same of them, for them to be worshiping God, not to lay down on the seat and sleep. Number two, what impact would it have on visitors to come into our church and see children enthusiastically engaged in worship? I was blessed last month when, when Torin was singing that song. Well, God did a great job. We want to do more of that having kids doing part of that. But, but, but what, what kind of message does it send you? Wow, there's a, there's a church that is about families and about kids. And then thirdly, what would a church that was connected across the generations look like? Not just gray hairs, but some black hairs and brown hairs and blonde hairs as well. Amen? Let's all stand on our feet. Hopefully... You will take what was taught this morning, more teaching than preaching, a little preaching in there, but you will take this to heart and say, God, in light of what I heard, in light of the word of God, how should I, how should my family be participating? Not should my, how should my family be participating in family worship? You have a pastor, you, just, you don't have kids, so you don't know how difficult it is. My kids are, are little terrors. Well, so is I. And if God can get a hold of my heart and change me, He can get a hold of your kids' hearts and change them too.
Stop nodding your head so much, Mom. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. We're the faith community. Hero Israel will help you. Amen? But have them here. Support the ministries of BCF. Next Sunday, Sunday school, 9 a.m. This Wednesday, 6 p.m., Kids Club. A lot of time and effort and energy is going to that. It's wonderful. It's going to be great for the kids. Bring them with you. You stay, but then the family community Sunday will be part of that. So, Father, this morning, thank you for your word that instructs us, that trains us, that gives us guidance in this issue. And I know that people struggle with it even today. And I pray that what I, what I shared, God, would just land on some good soil in our hearts and, and produce a harvest. God, I pray for the boys and girls, the teenagers of this church. And I pray, God, that, that they would see a mom or a dad that would be so in love with Jesus that they, too, would want what their mom and dad has, that they would want a relationship with Christ, that they, they, they would come, God, just to be hungry for you and, and, and to worship you with, with, with excitement, God, with enthusiasm. And I pray, Father, that, that you would bless families with the desire for a heavenly vision for their homes, for multi-generational faithfulness, not just for their kids, but should Jesus tarry for their grandkids and their great-grandkids, so that when we're, we're gone with you, God, that there's going to be a legacy left behind for our families. God, every... Everything in hell today is being released against the family, against marriages. I pray, God, that this place would be a place where families can come together and, and grow and nurture and learn and, and be supportive of one another. And, the, and, and, that, and that relationships would, just, would, would be strengthened, God, I pray. God, I, I pray that you would, you would use this message to touch our hearts and that boys and girls as well as parents would have a hunger in their hearts for more of Jesus. Jesus, may you increase, may we decrease. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen.